At the beginning of the year, it is very appropriate to consider those things that matter. Um, it is appropriate to sing about the love of God. It is appropriate to sing about the fact that God is the one who leads us. Uh, the, the beginning of the year, the first service of the year, is a special time to consider what's, uh, what's really important. And before, before we go into the sermon, I want to thank you, congregation, and thank every, every member of the church who's been praying for us. I know uh, our family and Pastor Taylor's family were out of, uh, out of town uh, recently. And I'm thankful for the prayers that you have prayed on our behalf. It is wonderful to be back with you to begin this year together. Uh, I'm thankful for the, for the Lord's provision last Sunday uh, to have Pastor David Davis preach God's Word uh, faithfully in this place. I'm thankful for, for him and for our brothers and sisters at High Point Baptist Church. Uh, the new year is a time and an opportunity to reflect and consider uh, and evaluate our lives. A New Year's time when people think about aims and hopes and goals, uh, perhaps even make some resolutions. I wonder if you have made any resolutions this year. It's common, it's, it's uh, hopeful uh, to consider. Uh, pe- people make resolutions of all kinds. Some are uh, material in nature, others are spiritual in nature. Some make hopes and resolutions about eating more healthy or exercising more, or perhaps uh, doing certain new, developing new habits for their personal lives, or perhaps new habits for their marriage life. As Christians, evaluating uh, how you approach Scripture, how you approach the reading of God's Word, memorizing God's Word, meditating on God's Word, are wonderful aspects to examine and see do you feel satisfied in, in the way you are committing yourself to, to reading Scripture, to memorizing, to meditating on God's Word, to praying? Um, personally, I hope that this year I would uh, devote more of my time to reading Christian biographies uh, of believers who have lived in different centuries than our current century, that I can learn from their struggles, that I can learn from their joys and experiences uh, it's appropriate to consider some, some resolutions and new goals for the new year. But I would like for us this morning to consider uh, some, some hopes and some uh, aims that we can consider as a church together. And uh, the resolutions or the hopes or the, the aims that I would like for us to consider and be inspired to consider together um, come from God's Word. And I thought it would be appropriate uh, for us to consider resolutions or aims or goals or a prayer for our congregation by actually considering what the Apostle Paul desired for the churches. And this morning, um, I would like for us to consider uh, uh, hopes and prayers uh, taken from one of the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed specifically for the church in Colossae. I encourage you uh, to consider opening God's Word this morning if you have it. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to, uh, to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you and open to Colossians 1. I'll be reading from verse 9 to verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to verse 12. Uh, this passage of Scripture contains a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the believers uh, in Colossae. And what he prays for, I think, is entirely appropriate. Very appropriate for us to consider as aims, as, uh, as something for us to, to hold on to together as a congregation 
as we begin this year, this new, not only year, but decade. So let's hear God's word while the Apostle Paul prays for a church. And then, uh, Lord willing, we will look at this text and apply it for our hearts this morning. Here's God's word, Colossians 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. This is God's Word for our hearts this morning. Would you bow your head with me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of His Word and our hearts as we hear. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are a God who has blessed us so richly by revealing yourself to us and by giving us your only Son, Jesus. Father, as we are drawn this morning together in this place to open your word, Father, we pray that your Spirit might speak to us through what we have just read. Would you prepare our hearts? Would you open our hearts? Give us the illumination of your Holy Spirit so that we may take it to heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Amen. The church in Colossae, to which the Apostle Paul writes uh, these words, this letter, uh, the church uh, for which the Apostle Paul prayed this particular prayer, uh, was a fairly new church. Uh, Paul did not know the church. He did not plant this church. It was Epaphras who preached the word of God to the people of the city of Colossae. And uh, Paul speaks to them and tells them what he has heard about them. A number of really good things the Apostle Paul is identifying going on for this congregation. Notice with me how, he, how the Apostle Paul uh, says he thanks God for them. In verse 3 to 5, the Apostle Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why? He says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What a wonderful thing for the Apostle Paul to hear about this congregation. What a confirmation of God's work in the hearts of these people. The people to whom Paul is writing are believers, are Christians, because they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have heard the news that Christ died for their sins, that Christ was resurrected on the third day. And these believers received the word of God. They repented of their, of their sins and trusted in Christ. And they're believing. They're putting their faith in Jesus. Well, friends, if, if you are here this morning as a visitor, uh, or perhaps you are uh, you're sort of attending this congregation for a while, but you're not a Christian. One of the first things that can be, can be told about us, one of the first things we can experience that's, that's most eternally significant is that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. 
Without that, no matter what else can be said about us, no matter how many good things we have going for us, without, without putting our faith, without entrusting our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, nothing else matters. This morning, we see that the Apostle Paul <clears throat> affirms this congregation not only in their faith in Jesus, but notice what their faith also produced in them. Love for the saints. Love for one another. Love for all the saints. And then he says all of this is happening because of the hope that they have for eternity. What desires could the Apostle Paul have more from a church or for a church that is already experiencing faith in Jesus, love for one another, hope for what is to come. To such a church, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter and he has more desires for them. What does the Apostle Paul desire for such a church? And that, the answer to that desire that the Apostle Paul has for them is found in the passage we have just read. It starts with these words. From the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Apostle Paul prays for that congregation that, that is exerting and showing signs of faith, of love, of hope. He prays for them this prayer, that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, friends, I wonder, I wonder if you desire to be filled with a knowledge of God's will for all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You might say about yourself, I'm, I think I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I do my best to love others. I put my hope in, in God, in eternal life. But the desire to be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding. But, but for what purpose? Like, why would you want to be filled? Why would the Apostle Paul w want these, these believers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is provided for us in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. You, you see here, the reason why Paul wants these believers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will is not so they can win Bible trivia competitions. It's not so that they can have a smart comment in a Sunday school class. It's not so that they can know and, and answer the, the deep questions about the Bible that other people might have. Do you see that? It's not so that they can feel good about their Bible knowledge. Why is the Apostle Paul wanting them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding is so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so that they might be fully pleasing to the Lord. Why be filled with the knowledge of God's will? So that we can walk properly worthily of the Lord 
in a way that pleases God. Friends, I wonder if, if walking worthy of the Lord or being fully pleasing to the Lord is on your radar of hopes and aspirations for this year. We all want to please somebody, either our friends or our peers uh, or the people at work, those we admire, or we seek to please ourselves. Friends, are you seeking to please the Lord? As you consider your way of life, as you consider this new year, is this on your radar? To live in a manner worthy of the Lord and to be fully pleasing to Him. Not partially pleasing to Him, fully pleasing to the Lord. The Apostle Paul prays for these believers that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so they can be living in a way that, that, that is worthy of the Lord. But the question is, well, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the Lord? And how do we please the Lord? Well, the, the entire Bible is filled with answers to that question. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at just these, four, these passages, uh, these verses that we have read. And in these verses, we observe, we notice four verbs, four actions uh, that unpack uh, what it means to be living in a manner worthy of the Lord and what it means to live fully pleasing to the Lord. And these verbs, if you have your Bible, uh, these verbs show up after the colon. After the colon, uh, in, in, this ver in the passage, if you look at verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, comma, fully pleasing to Him, colon. And after the colon, there's four verbs. And these four verbs define for us, help us unpack what it means to live in a life, a life worthy of the Lord. Let's look at the first one, first verb that we see after the colon, bearing fruit, bearing fruits in every good work. Earlier in verse 6, the Apostle Paul declared that the gospel was bearing fruit all over the world and in the midst of this congregation. That fruit of the gospel was referring to conversions. The word of God was being proclaimed. People heard it. They became convicted of it. They believed it. And they responded to it with repentance and faith. And believers began emerging. People became children of God, believers, followers of Jesus. This gospel was bearing fruit all over the world and in their own midst. But here in verse 10, Paul is speaking about a different kind of fruit that the believers in Colossae are to have if they are going to live a life worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to the Lord. It's the it's a good fruit, or it's a fruit, the bearing fruit of, of good works. This is what verse says, 10 says, bearing fruit in every good work. Friends, have you considered that doing good works is not a means of getting right with God, but rather doing good works is a means of reflecting what God has done in our lives. And it's motivated 
by the work of grace that God has done in us. At the end of the day, God does not save us by looking at how many good things we have done. Instead, God saves us because of His grace and mercy as we put our faith in Jesus Christ so that our salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But at the same time, when we begin putting our trust in Jesus, all that He claimed about Himself, all that He has done, we we hold on to, we embrace by faith. But as we begin following Jesus, following Him begins creating in us a harvest, fruits. And a part of those fruits are the fruits of of, of good works. We have read earlier in the service of sanctification, uh, the, the, the fruit of becoming more like Jesus as we increasingly make choices and live our lives in a way that reflects God. But a part of the fruit that we are called to have is a fruit of, of good works, good deeds, helping one another. As we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him, one of the ways we do so is by committing, devoting ourselves to doing good to others. In the book of Titus, uh, Paul says in that letter the following words, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Well, friends, committing ourselves to doing good works is one of the ways we please the Lord, one of the ways we live in a manner worthy of the Lord. What kind of good works can you look into the rear view mirror of last year and consider how, how much of your life has been characterized by a commitment, by a desire, by a joy of doing good works for others. There's a number of ways we can, we can encourage one another in, in the doing of good works. For example, visiting the sick, giving them a call, sending them a card, visiting the elderly in our congregation, visiting the, those who are homebound in our congregation, or assisting one another in our needs as we become aware of various needs. Or for instance, being willing to meet up with other believers to get to know them, to be an encouragement for them, uh, to do them spiritual good. Uh, dear members, consider, especially those among us who have been here in this congregation for uh, a longer period of time, consider reaching out to members who uh, have joined in 2019 or members who have joined just in the last two, three years. Bearing fruit in good works is done by, by taking what is ours, including our time, including what we have, and extending it to those who are around us. Uh, bearing fruit in good works is also done by being willing to serve in various needs in the life of, of this congregation. Uh, in children's ministry, I, where's Leona? I know Leona's here. Uh, Leona can tell you about the wonderful needs we have in the children's ministry. There's needs that we have as greeters. There's needs that we have as in the sound booth. There's needs that we have in the, in the hosting ministry. Um, there's needs we have in helping widows around us. Friends, we can bear fruit by considering how, what, what does it take for this body of believers to, to encourage one another, to gather regularly, to, for things to work well and smoothly. There are needs going on in regards to this facility 
if you'd like to know anything about this facility, go and speak to Carl in the back. He would love to tell you of ways that we can use your help and, and be, encouraged, be an encouragement in caring well for this facility. Bearing fruit in good works uh, is also in, engaging, or we can do it by engaging in assisting in mercy ministries, even outside the walls of our church. I love the enthusiasm of Brother Paul Beeman when he gathers every, every thir- fourth Wednesday of the month a group of people to go and serve in the soup kitchen. Uh, there's ways we can be helping in the Pregnancy Resource Center that our congregation partners with. Friends, when we open our eyes around us, we can see so many opportunities and needs. I'm so thankful for so many of you who last year have encouraged me and have, sh- have, have displayed God's grace in your life by the way you devote yourself to doing good, to doing good works. It's so encouraging. Others among us uh, might be still learning or still it's a new thing for us to commit to doing good works for others. One of the primary challenges of doing good works is the reality that we're all busy, that we're so spread out, whether it's work or other responsibilities. Friends, one of the things that we can steward well in our lives is considering to give ourselves enough margin in our lives so that when a need arises, that we're able to respond to those needs. Ask yourself, in what ways are you committed to continue to grow in in doing good works? Knowing, friends, knowing that when we do that, whether it's one-on-one to another person, whether it's to the congregation as a whole, whether it's things going on outside our church walls, when we commit to doing good, we are walking in a way that pleases the Lord. We're walking in a way worthy of the Lord. I love when I hear members take initiative to visit uh, other members uh, before surgery or who are going through sickness or going through difficulties. I'm so encouraged to see that initiative from our members. And I want to encourage you, congregation, keep doing it and keep growing in that. A second way by which we live our lives in a way worthy of the Lord is by growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. We see this uh, in verse 10. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God is a second verb here and identifies a second way how we live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Some Christians are, are satisfied with their knowledge of God and feel that they, they know enough. Uh, some have even the impression that they don't need to know more. They just need to apply what they know. Uh, I even heard someone say occasionally, uh, someone outside our church, oh, we, we don't need... We don't need all the preaching. We just need to put into practice what we know. Well, I, I can appreciate a l- part of that statement. Uh, I can appreciate that in the following way. If we just have knowledge of God and we don't put it into practice, it, it's no use. There's no use to know stuff about God if, if we don't live it out. That is true. But at the same time, if we get to the place where we feel like we know enough, we just need to live it out, that sounds to me like we're plateauing in the hunger, in the need, in the desire to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. 
And here's the Apostle Paul is praying for this church and saying the way to, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord and to be fully pleasing to the Lord is to keep increasing in the knowledge of God. Plateauing, thinking that we are okay, that we have arrived, we have passed the threshold of the knowledge of God and we now just need to focus on living it out. Friends, that kind of plateau is actually dangerous. The Apostle Paul, who ended up writing about a third of our New Testament, in one of his letters, now think about it, the Apostle Paul, in one of the letters, said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he goes on to say, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul never got to a place of saying, I know enough. I just need to focus on living it out. Oh, no. Friends, when we separate the knowledge of God from the living out, the living of, of what we know, it's dangerous. Even well-intended and motivated, it's dangerous. Here's why. Because if, if we fail to live well, it's because actually we fail to know well. When we fail to follow the Lord or apply the Word of God, it's not just that we need more application. Something's actually flawed in the way we actually understand who God is. Because the true knowledge of God leads to a living for God. The two things go hand in hand. And the hunger for increasing in our knowledge of God should never stop. There's no way for us to adopt an attitude of arrival when it comes to our knowledge of God. If we do, it's only to our detriment. Sometimes this is a temptation, for, especially for, for those who've been Christians for a long time. We think we know all the Bible stories. We think we've heard all the passages preached. And in some cases, that may be true. But the knowledge of God is not just information about God. It's not just facts about God. It's about the knowing of who God is. And in, in coming into a fresh encounter with a living God. Friend, fight the temptation to think that you don't need to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Consider in what ways you have grown in the knowledge of God this past year. Ask yourself, do you desire to grow in the knowledge of God in this next year? Friends, it's hard to grow in the knowledge of God if you don't read the Scripture regularly. And spend time with the Lord in His Word regularly. The beginning of the year is a great time to consider and evaluate how are you doing in the habits of reading Scripture. How often do you take time during the week to read God's Word? I want to encourage you not only to, to read God's Word, but to meditate on it. Consider memorizing it. May I encourage you to consider writing it out by hand. Portions of it. Help you meditate on it. Help you examine it. Help you apply it. When you memorize it, you take it with you throughout the week. And you can think about how it applies in that traffic jam. How it applies when you hear and deal with a, a coworker that it really frustrates you. How it applies when you're dealing with a family member who disappoints you. Memorize scripture. Give yourself to applying it throughout the day. If you're not used to reading the Bible regularly during the week, I want to encourage you to, um, to start this year 
And consider reaching out to another member of the church to ask for accountability, to ask for help in prayer. We live in a time also that we, are, we have so many great resources around us that help us increase and grow in our understanding of who God is. We have lots of Bible studies available. There's lots of books and resources and DVDs available. In the foyer, we have a, a bookstall with trusted resources that we would encourage you to consider uh, picking up and reading. If, if reading Scripture is already a part of what you are doing in your life, I'd encourage you to continue to grow by actually committing to read other resources, whether it's a Bible study or whether it's a, a book on a particular topic of, of Christian life. Um, read biographies of Christians. Learn how other Christians have, have followed the Lord in more challenging times, in different settings. If there's one thing that has really um, affected my own soul in the last two years because of the, the study that I've done uh, and committed to, to have to read books and articles and things that I, I had to, I didn't necessarily want to, but I had to, one of the things that affected me was that I had to drop the amount of reading of biographies and I realized how much it has affected my soul. Because the Lord has used, in my own walk with the Lord, has used the reading of Christian biographies to help me, encourage me in following the Lord. Friends, growing in the knowledge of God also should not be done in isolation. Yes, you should do it in private. Yes, you should do it by yourself in, in the closet. But it, you should not only do it in isolation. You should do it with others as well. I want to encourage you to consider joining a uh, a small group or a one-on-one -on -one discipleship uh, meeting. If, you don't, if you've never been used to meeting with another believer to encourage one another in the Word, to read something together, to pray for one another, I want to encourage you to consider this year meeting and beginning a discipling relationship, whether it's on one-on-one -on -one or in a Bible study group, the ladies' Bible study uh, on Mondays or the men's discipleship group. But consider your growth in the knowledge of God. Make it Bible-saturated. Make it also filled with other resources that are available for us that we can learn from others. And then do it in a way that doesn't just keep you isolated. The first two ways in which we live a life worthy of the Lord is by bearing fruit in every good work and by growing in the knowledge of God. Now let me say this about the first two options. Some people are really good at one of the two and typically quite deficient at the other. Some people are really good at, at, at doing good. And they're so committed to doing good to others that actually their knowledge of God and their increasing of the knowledge of God is plateaued and even significantly deficient. And they think it's all about what you do for the Lord. Others are really good at getting into the Word, studying it, getting deep into the insights even meeting with others to encourage others, but are deficient at actually doing good to others. Friends, I want to encourage you not to choose between one or the other. If you know you're inclined in one direction naturally and you've grown in one direction well, make it a point this year to do the, the other. If you do well at serving others, commit yourself to, to getting into the Scriptures and into, the, into growing in the knowledge of God. If you're already doing that well, then commit to to grow in doing good to others. But there's two other ways to, work, to live in a life uh, that's pleasing to the Lord and worthy of the Lord. The third way is being strengthened for endurance and patience. 
being strengthened for endurance and patience. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, of the four verbs that we see in, the, in, this, in this prayer, um, the, the only one that's passive is this one. The other three verbs, bearing fruit, gr- increasing in the knowledge of God, and the fourth one are active verbs, meaning we do the action. This one is a passive verb, meaning someone else does the action on us. And that is God. We're being strengthened. In other words, we cannot walk worthy of the Lord in our own strength. We need God's power. We need God's strength. And God gives us His power and strength, not in small measures, but according to His glorious might. What a good news this is for us, dear friends, as we begin the new year. God makes His strength available for us. He does not leave us to face our life on our own strength. When God asks us to follow Him, He does not expect us to follow it, to follow Him on our own power. He provides us a strength. So Paul writes to these believers by being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. But notice what His power does in us. What is His power for? What is it enabling us to do as we walk worthy of the Lord? It enables us to endure, to have endurance, and to have patience, and to do it all with joy. Did you notice that? Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Oh, friends, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord involves endurance. There's no quick sprints. There's no quick sprints. For walking with God. There's no quick sprints for walking in a way that pleases the Lord. A way that pleases the Lord is a way that involves endurance. And it involves also patience. These are two values that are rarely seen in our culture. We have a very fast-paced society. Quick results. Instant gratification. But God wants us to adopt a view of our walk with Him that involves endurance. It involves patience. Enduring to the end. Enduring through trials. Enduring through difficulties. Enduring in the battle against sin. Enduring in our sanctification. It's often tempting to give up battling sin, especially when we see so low progress in us. But endurance means keep fighting. In our relationships as members of this congregation, as much, as much as we try to love one another and show love for one another, I am very sure that there are times and opportunities when we actually need to practice patience with each other. Frustrations, disappointments, they're part of what it means to live in relationship with one another, and we need patience. And following Jesus, living a life worthy of the Lord, means that God is giving us the strength we need for endurance and for patience. But He also does it for something else. He gives us a strength for joy. Enduring and being patient is often challenging enough. But enduring and being patient with joy, whew, 
That's a challenge. This is why we need to rely on God's strength. This is why we need strength not only for endurance and patience, but for joy. We need God's strength for this joy so that our endurance and patience would not be just a dry and sorrowful experience. It often is that way, but that we can experience in the midst of it the sweetness of God's grace. Friends, God wants us to give us strength. God wants to give us strength so that in the long and challenging battles that we face, that we would go through them experiencing God's joy in the midst of it all. Friends, for some of us, the challenge we might face is laziness. And endurance and patience is hard because we would rather just live with a sense of passivity. Passivity is not patience. Passivity is not endurance. We need endurance to fight against laziness, to fight against passivity. We need joy to help us in that fight. But then there's a fourth way in which the Apostle Paul identifies and clarifies how we live in a a way worthy of the Lord. And that fourth way is in verse 12. The fourth verb is giving thanks to the Father. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Friends, living with gratitude towards God is one very specific way that we can live in a way that pleases the Lord. Living with gratitude towards God. If gratitude towards God is not part of your life, if instead complaining or bickering or a critical spirit is what characterizes you, something is off track. Ask yourself this morning and see if your soul is filled with thanksgiving to God. Consider starting this year with this note of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. If, if that gratitude and thanksgiving to God is lacking, ask yourself why. Is it a health situation? Is it a family situation? Is it a job situation? Is it a relationship situation? Is it, what is it? There are many things in this world, in our lives, that rob us, take away from us our thankfulness to God. Notice why the Apostle Paul encourages the believers to be thankful to God. Notice what what he gives them as a foundation, as a reason. Why give thanks to God? It says in verse 12, Because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because he has qualified us to share in the inheritance. Becoming a Christian makes us heirs an imperishable inheritance. Yes, there's many things in this world that give us reasons not to be thankful or steal our, our reasons to be thankful. But here's a reason that can never be taken away for those who are followers of Christ. An inheritance. The inheritance of the saints in the light. The Apostle Paul, uh, Peter uh, spoke similarly about the inheritance in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Yes, we live in a society that is right now, in a culture, in a city particularly, that is 
flourishing and, and blooming, an economy, an economy that is flourishing. And people ask, how long will this economy still go on? The crash must come at some point, sooner or later, and it will. But here is an inheritance, dear friends, that is unfading. No crash will affect it. Nothing will affect it being taken away or diminishing it. Oh, friends, thank God. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, God has given us this kind of inheritance. It will never lose its value. It will never go away. Ask God to give you an attitude of gratitude for this particular reason. You know, as Christians, we learn to give thanks to God for everything. And it is, it is a good thing. Whether it's money, whether, whether it is our families, whether it is the good things that God is giving us here in this world, it is wonderful to give thanks to God for everything. It's part of a biblical command. But if all we give thanks to God for are the material things we experience, I'm afraid that when these material things are shaken or taken away from us, we are left with nothing to thank God for. And here the Apostle Paul is, is encouraging believers to give thanks to God for the inheritance that will never be taken away from us. Cultivate in you gratitude for those things that God has given us in Jesus Christ, which will never be taken away from us. And in doing so, we practice an attitude and a foundation of gratitude that will be eternal. Friends, consider, consider this list of four defini or definition of four elements, what it means to live in a way that pleases the Lord, what it means in a way that, that lives worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy, and giving thanks to the Father. In the story of uh, Saving Private Ryan, actor Tom Hanks plays the role of the army chap uh, ca uh, captain who is among the American soldiers who took part in the D-Day invasion of World War II. Shortly after the invasion, uh, this captain is put in charge of a special mission to save a soldier by the name of Ryan. Uh, Ryan's brothers, two other brothers, there are only three siblings in the family, uh, Ryan's two other brothers have been killed in the battle in a short period of time, and the, the army officials figured out that this is the third son left. He's the only one in battle, and they should do everything they can to try to protect him and save him, bring him back home safely. So they deploy this special force, such special team, and in the process, uh, the search is not easy. Uh, many of the men in the, in the team end up dying. The cost is very high to save this one soldier. And on the way back home, the captain himself is actually shot. And before he gives his last breath, the captain looks at Private Ryan and says to him, Earn this. Prior to this, the soldiers who have seen the high price of other soldiers being killed for this private, for the soldier, have, have said among themselves, this, this soldier had better be worth it. 
And now the captain himself is shot, and before he dies, he says, earn this. It was a way of saying to the soldier, live worthy of my death. Live worthy of my death. Friends, Christ died for us. He died for us before we could do anything for ourselves. He died for us to save us. He didn't die for us because we were good. We were not. He died for us to make us good. And now, having saved us, he says, live in a manner worthy. This is Paul's prayer, that we would be filled, and this is my prayer for us, that we would be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may live worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. This is my prayer for us as a congregation in 2020. May the Lord help us. Would you pray for me, with me?